You are listening to the Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast, where we talk about wireless technology. Here are your hosts, Mac Daring and Matt Starling. Hello, and welcome to the latest Wi-Fi Ninjas podcast. I'm your host, Matt Starling, and today I'm joined with my co-host, Mac Daring. And also, we are very lucky to have a true Wi-Fi legend on our show, Mr. David Common from Aerohive. Hello, David. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, it's a really, really privilege to have you on our show. Uh, we appreciate your time, David. Thank you very much for joining. Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Um... I'm sure that there is no one out there listening that doesn't know anything about you or a bit of your background, but just in the slight chance that there is, do you want to give uh, the listeners maybe just a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. Um, very quickly. Um, my name is David Coleman. I am the Director of Technical Education and Marketing uh, here at Aerohive Networks. Um, uh, my role at Aerohive Networks is three things. i am uh, now been tasked with running the training team for channel and customers and in, in, in internal. Um, another big part of my role at Aerohive is I'm the senior technical evangelist at the company. So I do a lot of evangelistic events, speaking events, um, talking about our technology uh, around the world to customers and channel partners. And my third uh, new role is I've just taken over as the primary contact uh, for Aerohive Networks for the Wi-Fi Alliance. So those are my three roles. My background, very quickly, um, I've been doing Wi-Fi before it was actually called Wi-Fi um, for 20 plus years now. Um, before I came, to, I've been at Aerohive about 10 years prior to that. I had my own company. Uh, consulting and training. Um, and uh, my other background is uh, book writing. Um, I, um, the, the co-author of uh, multiple books and uh, also authored a bunch of dummies books on my own as well. But the uh, main book is my co-author David Westcott and I are the authors of the Certified Wireless Network Administrator Study Guide uh, published by Cybix Publishing. And Reese, we've been I don't know, writing that book now for about 16 years. And it's um, it's now in its fifth edition. So uh, that's my background. And, I, you know, um, I'm always uh, kind of embarrassed when people say say things about, you know, oh, everybody knows David Coleman. But one of the reasons people know my name, quite frankly, is because of the, uh, the book. And the book is sold worldwide. Yeah, thanks for that, David. And I know myself and Mac have both read both uh, been reading multiple versions of that, your CWNA uh, study guide. And uh, what we're going to be discussing on the show today is 802.11ax. And when we decided to do a, a podcast on this, I, f I couldn't think of anyone better than yourself to, to reach out to because the first the first way I started to learn about AX was reading your uh, one of your dummies, AX, AX for dummies, and then I've seen some of your presentations. So that's why I decided to, to reach out to you on Twitter to see if you'd be up for coming on the show to discuss AX with us. Well, thank you. And uh, that's actually been uh, one of my primary things that I've been speaking about for over a year now is 802.11ax. And as we're trying to call it more, uh, Wi-Fi 6 now, but it is really a kind of a paradigm shift in Wi-Fi technology. And so that's why I've been speaking a lot about it because it's really the most 
excited that I've been in terms of changes in Wi-Fi since probably when we went to 802.11n, uh, what, I don't know, 12, 13 years ago, when we went from SISO radios to MIMO radios. Now we're finally going from single user um, uh, communications to multi-user communications with 802.11ax. Finally, it's about time, Fine. isn't it? <laughs> Well, it, it really is. I mean, you know, there was a promise with 802.11ac uh, when the second uh, round of chipsets came out that multi-user MIMO was going to bring us multi-user communications. And it did, but it hasn't really panned out in, um, in the real world that much uh, for multiple reasons. Number one, there's not a lot of uh, uh, clients that support multi-user MIMO. Um, and even if there were, even if 100% of the clients that support multi-user MIMO, um, it's not really a technology that's conducive uh, for indoor communications um, and high-density communications. Um, so what's cool about Wi-Fi 6 and 802.11ax defines two multi-user technologies, not just multi-user MIMO, but it also defines uh, multi-user OFDMA. And uh, I like to say that's actually going to be the secret sauce is the orthogonal frequency division multiple access, which I know is a mouthful. <laughs> okay. So uh, since we've started discussing it, so in AC, wasn't the MU MIMO just in a downlink uh, direction? Yes, that is correct. Um, and... Um, so there, there is some, you know, I sometimes, I, I don't like to talk as much about multi-user MIMO because once again, OFDMA is the secret sauce. But that being said, there are multi-user MIMO enhancements in uh, Wi-Fi 6 and AX. Uh, you are correct. In AC, it was only downlink. Um, and uh, as I mentioned, there was not a lot of client-side support. Um, that will definitely change in uh, with AX. As we start seeing the clients uh, roll out with AX, um, they will have to support multi-user MIMO uh, more than likely, um, at least downlink initially. Um, you should know that there is um, some in the standard. Uh, it defines actually uplink multi-user MIMO as well, but uh, be aware it is that capability is not in the exi existing chipsets. So anytime you hear talk of uplink multi-user MIMO, uh, my opinion is that's at least uh, two or three years off uh, out, at least for clients and uh, enterprise APs. Okay, so so now the standard says that it is optional to support MU MIMO, and it will take us a couple of years to get there in order to support in both directions. Is that correct? Yeah, well, it's once again, it's two things. It's optional. Uh, 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 right now, uplink multi-user MIMO is, uh, once again, we're waiting on to see what's going to happen with the final Wi-Fi Alliance certification. But I can tell you right now, uplink multi-user MIMO simply isn't supported in the current chipset. So it's very uh, unlikely that you're going to see any requirements for support for uplink multi-user MIMO for at least several more years. Um, now, once again, um, we will start seeing more widespread support for downlink multi-user MIMO, but let's, uh, let's be real world about this. Multi-user MIMO only works if you have spatial diversity, meaning a lot of distance between the AP and the clients and a lot of distance between the individual clients. 
So most indoor deployments of Wi-Fi simply are not conducive for that kind of um, technology to work. Um, you need that spatial separation. Um, where we have personally have seen multi-user MIMO actually work in the real world uh, currently is point-to-multipoint bridge links. That's actually a really good use of the technology because you have distance between the buildings. And if you have a, a, a center bridge building that can communicate with other br uh, bridge devices at the same time, that's actually a really good use of the technology. Okay, so is it worth mentioning now that um, that AX isn't certified yet, but there are some AX APs and AX clients out there and if when the when it will be certified and if it's sure. worth getting access points now or do we wait or what's the difference so we get asked these questions all the time so first of <laughs> all there's there's a couple of different thing people things that people need to consider first of all the ieee defines the 802.11ax uh, standard so currently that's a draft amendment amendment um, i don't think it's going to be ratified until the end of this year or early next year um, don't hold me to those dates, um, but it, it's close. I mean, the actual um, draft right now is in like uh, the fifth or sixth edition, and it's gone through many, many revisions. Um, so anything that will um, that will finally be certifiable is uh, already in the chipsets um, for what will probably be required by the Wi-Fi Alliance. Um, that being said, the Wi-Fi Alliance, in my mind, is actually a little bit more important because they do the interoperability testing. And they're actually a little bit ahead. They're almost usually ahead of the IEEE. So um, the certification for Wi-Fi 6, which is will be the actual test bed and, and um, interoperability testing for AX, is going to happen this year. Um, I can't give you an exact date, but it, um, uh, I'm not supposed to talk about an exact date, but it's coming soon. The, the Wi-Fi Alliance has announced it. And they will be testing AXAPs and clients. And uh, so one question that I get all the time is, hey, do Air well, the Aerohive APs that are already out, will they be certifiable? And I can confidently say the answer to that is yes. Okay, amazing. So we have first access points, AX capable. We have first clients that are capable with AX. I think that uh, the S10 Samsung was one of the first to the market. I've already seen a couple in the office today, which is which is quite nice to see that we will have some clients as soon as we start putting an access point in. But obviously, it will take us some uh, time to uh, to see it being practical, right? Okay, so just uh, 802.11n versus 802.11ac. It was an incremental update, right? We had a, a faster modulation schemes. Uh, we had higher throughput, uh, but in the nutshell, it was very similar, just faster, right? So that's how we get more capacity. Um, yeah, talk us through. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's absolutely correct. As a matter of fact, one thing that I like to say about 802.11ac, it was really more like 802.11n Rev 2, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> so they took the a lot of the a lot of AC, believe it or not, was getting rid of some of the things that were defined in 802.11n. Uh, 
And so, and some lessons learned. Um, so 802.11n was this big, massive amendment that took, believe, took like 10 years to ratify. Um, and uh, there was a lot of stuff in there. And some of the stuff was just kind of removed. And a lot of things, like there was two kinds of transmit beam forming. And then they settled on just one with AC. Um, and there was other things like unequal modulation and other things that were discussed. And it just never happened in the real world. So... But because of that, a lot of those things were removed. Um, so when AC came out, um, you know, you're right. Probably the, the biggest thing with AC was the wider eight, all of a sudden the support for the 80 megahertz channels, um, which is fine for your home, but not really for the enterprise. Exactly. And then the higher, the higher modulation um, and uh, then the support for multi-user MIMO, uh, which once again in the real world hasn't panned out yet. Yeah, so uh, having said that, uh, how 802.11ax will improve the efficiency again? Is it going to be just a throughput change again, or are we going to have some more secret tools that will make it really, really better in terms of enterprise use for higher capacity and serving more clients? So what is so special about the AX and why is everyone so eagerly awaiting uh, for AX to become more popular? Well, um, the main reason is it's no longer about data rates and throughput. Now, there, um, you, you will see marketing literature and, and people talk about the great new speeds and data rates of uh, 802.11ax and Wi-Fi 6. And there are some enhancements in Wi-Fi 6 and AX that, yes, will give us greater speeds and greater data rates. But that's not what I focus on, and that's not what most of us are focusing on. What most of us are focusing on is the efficiency improvements. And that's why the technology is actually called HE, high efficiency. Um, it's not necessarily about data rates and faster speeds, which has been the track we've been on now for you know 15 years. It's about taking the existing medium and making it more efficient, especially um, by simply sharing with the frequency space. And the, the way that that's mainly going to be done is using a technology called OFDMA, which is uh, the, actually a very similar, it's the same technology that is used in Downlink LTE. Nice, thanks for that. Um, and also, uh, should we touch on BSS coloring? Yeah, um, we can. Um, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to talk a, just a little bit more about OFDMA, and then we'll circle back to BSS color. Is that all right with you, fellas? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, so um, for those of you who don't know, um, once again, uh, there's been too much emphasis on data rates and, and throughput um, uh, over the years. Um, and you know what? Uh, what a lot of people don't consider is a couple things. Um, uh, at any given time, only one radio can transmit. Uh, it's just the nature currently of RF communications. Now, there's a protocol to deal with that, uh, carrier sense, multiple access, collision avoidance, that ensures that clients take turns in sharing a uh, frequency domain, which is just a fancy word for a channel. Um, but that protocol in itself uh, adds uh, extreme amount of overhead, uh, as much as 50%. Um, so every um, and it gets worse as more and more clients participate in a basic service set communicating through an AP. So a lot of times when you see a lot of these advertised data rates and throughput, 
um, and they do these bake-offs. They're always doing it with one EP and one client. And that is very misleading because as you start to add clients to the mix, that actually increases the max sublayer overhead. So that causes a big problem. Uh, another big part of the problem is, believe it or not, the bulk of data the bulk of data frames are under 300 bytes. So, um, so that actually results in more medium contention overhead because you have to contend for the medium for every radio for every small little frame. And even if you're using frame aggregation, there's a lot of different. Uh, uh, applications like voice and video that simply frame aggregation is not really good for. So bottom line is um, it's we haven't been using the frequency space efficiently. So what OFDM, OFDMA does very simply is divides the channel up into what I call little baby channels. And what the little baby channels are called resource units, which is the technical term where an AP actually can allocate uh, frequency space. And so now for both uplink and downlink, an AP can communicate on a 20 megahertz channel with up to like nine clients at the same time by simply dividing that 20 megahertz channel up into smaller channels. Uh, so it's a completely different way of achieving multi-user communications, but that is what will bring the efficiency because before... You could only have one radio transmitting at the same time. Now you can have seven radios transmitting on the same channel, using but using uh, actually not on the same channel, on different little baby channels. Um, and maybe you only need uh, one ninth of a 20 megahertz channel to transmit a 300 byte frame. So the fact that they're not having to wait in line and that the clients aren't having to contend for the medium uh, for each separate transmission, that in itself is going to give us the better efficiency. I definitely prefer your uh, term to the resource units, calling them baby channels. <laughs> yes, the same. So the resource units, that it, it, it's such, such an amazing thing, isn't it? It's like it will bring us so much benefits in the networks, especially in terms of voice. Uh, let's say so. So now, if we had a busy enterprise environment and we had to contend for the airtime, it was very, very challenging to to give both a voice readiness and capacity. And now it will be probably a little bit easier for us, right? Uh, when we will be putting uh, voice-enabled networks uh, over wireless. Oh, absolutely. Because once again, you can communicate with multiple devices, both uplink and downlink, at the same time. So. Clearly, um, that's it, it's all about uh, airtime consumption and saving on airtime consumption. I've been talking about that now for about three or four years, how you need to design to cut down on your airtime consumption. Well, this technology in itself will uh, consume less airtime because of the multi-user communications. So um, that will bring uh, better efficiency. So um, now... Um, you know, it's still got a ways to go, um, and I think we'll see it improve. Uh, uh, first of all, as more clients, obviously, we're still waiting for a lot more clients, but they're coming, and they're going to start coming fast. Uh, and then a lot of the scheduling mechanisms that are uh, on from the AP side for the RU allegations, that for the RU allocation, um, that still has ways to go, and, but, and you'll probably see it get better and better over the years. And that's also a way that you'll probably see Wi-Fi vendors distinguish themselves from each other is um, having maybe better scheduling RU allocation capabilities than the other. So every 
vendor currently has their own airtime fairness type algorithm. Well, same thing with RU allocation for OFDMA, the APs in charge and the vendors that can uh, tweak the chipsets and get it to do the best RU scheduling are the ones that are going to have the better efficiency. Okay, so it's always up to the access point to decide which resource you need to allocate to which client, correct? So client never has any, any say in the allocation mechanism? That is correct. Um, you know, downlink is pretty easy. Um, the AP just looks at the incoming inf information and then we'll just say, okay, and then using some sort of scheduler, we'll decide how to do the RU allocation. It communicates that information to the clients and what, uh, what baby channel they're going to use downlink and what are called trigger frames. Uh, uplink is going to be more complicated. Um, the, for uplink, there has to be a mechanism for the clients to actually tell the AP what they'd like to send. And that's going to use something called buffer status reports. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but once again, once the, the clients inform, uh, the AP of like, we have the X amount of data and it's at this, uh, WMM access category, then once again, the AP can do scheduling and then schedule a synchronized uplink transmissions from the OFDMA clients. And is it just worth mentioning as well? Cause when we were talking earlier about the fact that it can do, uh, on 20 megahertz, but this also works on 40 megahertz and 80 megahertz wide channels, I believe, is that right? Absolutely. Um, it can work on the bigger channels as well. Um, uh, I'm still going to, I'm still a big component of, in most cases, using 20 megahertz channels. Um, but, um, and then 40 megahertz with uh, careful and proper design. But yeah, absolutely. It will work with 40 megahertz and even 80 megahertz if you want to use an 80 megahertz channel. So the same principles apply here, right? Even if we don't use all the resource units within the channel that we are using, let's say we just use a fraction of a channel, like one-tenth of a channel of 20 megahertz channel, uh, if we double the channel width and still use just the same, like, you know, one-twentieth of the, of the channel, 20, 40 megahertz, uh, we will still affect the SNR by bonding more channels, right? So if we use 20 versus 40, it will be like, three dBs less, most likely, at the edge of the cell, which will uh, probably have some impact on, on the modulation and on the throughput and, and on the quality of the Wi-Fi that the clients receive at the edge, correct? Uh, that, that's absolutely right. So none of that changes. So, you know, um, that raises the noise floor about three dB if you have a 40 megahertz channel. Um, and it also increases your odds of uh, co-channel interference. So bottom line, 40 megahertz can work um, in the enterprise, but um you you know careful planning uh use all the dfs channels very thick walls low power um it can work um and there's no reason it wouldn't be able to work with ax as well but um the 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 design has to be good um so i'm i'm more of a 20 megahertz kind of guy but 40 megahertz can work with proper design and it, that really doesn't anything really doesn't change with ax other than that you're doing are you allocation on a 40 megahertz channel? Sure. So general RF design with AX doesn't change too much in comparison to, let's say, AC, right? So we yep. still want to steer away from, from all the uh, interferences overlapping, even though we have some mechanisms for the access point 
for even a couple of access points operating on the same channel to to color their uh, their, their coverage, uh, the BSS coloring. But still, we would like to steer away from from the overlapping correct. Yes. Yeah, so um, for now, I'm telling everybody that design isn't really changing for now. Um, uh, I'll circle back to what you were saying about BSS color, but um, the right now, probably the one thing I get asked all the time is, um, hey, uh, this is going to be more efficient, so I'm not going to need as many APs. Um, and um, I'm not buying that yet, you know? <laughs> I mean, so, it's, you know, and obviously I work for a vendor and we like to sell APs, but um, bottom line, and, you know, customers would like to, do, you know, buy less APs if they could, but bottom line is, uh, it's in high density environments. Um, I don't think the design is going to change at least initially. Um, you know, if all of a sudden we had like 90% of our client population was Wi-Fi six, then maybe you could do with less APs, but here's the deal. As the years come by, we're going to have more clients. So um, the client populations are growing. So because the client populations are growing, I don't think that necessarily means we're going to need less APs. Uh, um, so just because we have a more efficient technology. So once again, none of this is, has been field tested. Um, we will learn more as we start field testing things. So does does AX therefore bring any benefit to legacy clients? Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> the answer that I've been telling everybody is no and yes. First, let's do the no. Um, Legacy clients will not support um, a multi-user OFDMA. They will still be using single-user communications. So for both downlink and uplink, when an AP is communicate, when a Wi-Fi six AP is communicating with an 802.11n or AC client, it's using the whole channel. Um, it's not subdividing the channel, um, and that actually consumes more airtime. Just like it's basically business as usual. However, as uh, Wi-Fi 6 client populations increase, they will, the network in itself will become more efficient. Um, there will be multi-user communications between the Wi-Fi 6 AP and clients. When they're using multi-user communications, that is consuming less airtime. And because they're consuming less airtime, it frees up more airtime for the legacy clients. So um, as the client populations increase, um, with Wi-Fi 6, the, even the legacy clients will see a benefit in perform, at least a perceived benefit in performance. Yeah, of course. So it's the same like with, with 4G versus 5G, right? In, in the mobile world, the more clients start moving to 5G, they will just not use 4G anymore and it, it will be less uh, less utilized for, for those older clients. So just, just to recap on, on that, on the legacy clients, if you have a legacy client, operating in a new, beautiful, juicy AX network, it will not utilize uh, resource units. It will not utilize any of the benefits of the AX. It will just consume the airtime as it normally would in AC world. And when it stops communicating and maybe AX clients, they start the communication, then they will have the benefits of the AX. So the more, the more uh, A, X clients we have in the network, the better the benefit for the older clients uh, will be uh, will be there for them. Yeah, and that's absolutely a correct statement. Which, 
usually brings me to the question that I normally get next is, well, where are all the AX clients and where's the Wi-Fi 6 clients? <laughs> Look, they're, they're coming. Um, the, you know, the Samsung uh, S10s are out. I actually have two of them already. I'm looking at holding Did one in my hand. you have a chance to, to test them, uh, the um, start- AX Samsungs? Yeah, um, already we're already we're actually testing them right now um, in our labs and also in my home lab, um, and uh, the testing is still in process. So I'm not going to give you all, all the final results, but they are communicating and they're communicating with uh, um, uh, OFDMA and they're communicating uh, back and forth with each other with the infra- the AX information elements. Um, nice. Still work still work to be done, but you, it's actually kind of cool because. Uh, I'm I'm showing my geekiness right now, but I got really excited when I turned on an Aerohive AP and I turned on the downlink OFDMA, and then I uh, connected my uh, Samsung Galaxy S10 for the first time, and this little Wi-Fi 6 logo pops up on it when you uh, when you actually connect using the technology and. You know, most people look at me and go like, yeah, what a nerd. But I mean, for me, it was an exciting moment. (laughs) Not only for you, for us, it's the same. We are are planning with Matt to start testing the S10s as well. Uh, We're just waiting for for our test AX access points and we'll start, you know, properly having fun, right? Right. And once again, a lot of the scheduling mechanisms still need work. And you'll see that uh, over the coming year um, and, and years. Um, and then you'll see the Wi-Fi Alliance start to certify, certify both devices and APs. And then you're, you're going to see a boatload of clients start coming probably um, in the second half of this year. So one thing that I'm, I've been telling a lot of people is uh, this Christmas, there's going to be a lot of kids with tablets and smartphones that are Wi-Fi 6 capable. Yeah, so finally we will have a proper Christmas, right? <laughs> yeah, and we're going to have a Wi-Fi 6 Christmas. So. <laughs> Yeah, that would be amazing. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, thank you very much for the AX. We are waiting for you for, for years. Okay, so if, when we are using these mobile devices, um, they don't only benefit from the better capacity of the AX. They also benefit from, from a better uh, battery time, right? So AX brings to the table more benefits in, term, in regards to ser- saving the battery power. Uh, would you talk us through how is it being done and why is it beneficial to use AX with mobile devices to conserve the battery power? So one technology that's absolutely going to be, it's already in the chipsets and will, uh, in my mind, be certifiable right away is target wake time. Uh, target wake time is a scheduled power saving mechanism, which we've never had before. Yeah. So think of it this way. Um, uh, and it w- this will work with any Wi-Fi 6 client, um, including smartphones and tablets, and there'll be definitely be benefit there, but it'll be even more beneficial for uh, Wi-Fi 6 IoT devices um, that may not need to transmit a lot, and where battery life is even more important than um, the smartphones and the tablets, where it's also important. In short, the, the quick explanation is this. A client will use a a frame to basically uh, tell the AP, hey, look, I want to go to sleep and I want to go to sleep for 15 minutes and I'm going to wake up in 15 minutes. And the AP is going to look at that and go, you know what? Uh, Not going to work out for me. You need to wake up in 13 minutes. So it's a negotiation. Um, And once that negotiation is done, um, the client goes to sleep. And then the AP also, the client knows to wake up in 13 minutes, and the AP also knows to listen in 13 minutes 
for that client. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. This is the one technology that I'm still trying to wrap my head around a lot. And I've been reading the standards a lot and, and the uh, Wi-Fi Alliance MRD. So I, I still got a, a, a bit to go and fully understanding all the mechanisms, uh, both at, uh, mostly layer two um, and summit layer one and how this works. But uh, this is something that will have a big impact. And as you said, the main benefit is battery life. Yeah, and also it, it seems like it will be extremely beneficial for the IoT devices, right? So now we have like a Zigbee and stuff, and it's probably quite practical moving on to start using AX for that. Well, we hope so. Um, I know, you know, there's, truth be told, there's not as many Wi-Fi IoT devices as there are some other technologies like Zigbee and Bluetooth because they're cheaper and uh, less expensive to make the chipsets. So, um so the Wi-Fi Alliance and all the vendors would like, and uh, the chipset vendors like Broadcom and Qualcomm, they want to do uh, whatever they can to make uh, Wi-Fi more efficient for lower cost chipsets that could possibly be put into IoT devices, get that cost down, and uh, also save on battery life. So, um, uh, you uh, you know, IoT is a buzzword that's overused a lot, but I'm telling you it's real and it's growing fast in the enterprise for not just Wi-Fi, but for a lot of RF technologies. Yeah, not only in enterprise, also at home, like, you know, I start to automate my home things and I have multiple different bridges. One is Zigbee, one is something else, and it will be just awesome to have all of them under a single standard, especially like those devices, they wouldn't have to be uh, be broadcasting at the maximum channel width. They don't have to use 20 megahertz. They can use a fraction of a channel number of resource units, right? So they don't have to use all that power as they did have to use before, which probably will make it more practical, I hope, moving forward. Yeah, and, and let's hope so. I mean, I don't, as far as I know, there haven't been any IoT Wi-Fi 6 chipsets announced yet. Uh, well, there's been a, a bunch of client-side two-by-twos been announced. So we're going to see Wi-Fi 6 first in smartphones and tablets. Um, but let's hope we see it in the IoT devices pretty fast as well. Um, traditionally, I think we all know that a lot of the IoT, because they don't want to use expensive chipsets, um, they've used kind of, you know, older technology. I mean, there's some IoT devices out there that use, believe it or not, even though they're new radios, they're using like 802.11b uh, or G technology. So we're hoping that the, the fact that uh, there's a lot of enhancements for IoT specifically in Wi-Fi 6, that the chipset vendors and the chipset vendors do drive this industry. We're hoping we're going to see IoT uh, Wi-Fi 6 chipsets out soon. So. Yeah. so just uh, conscious that we've probably only got another 10 minutes of your valuable time. Um, so what we've covered at a high level of uh, what's improved on UNAX is uh, OFDMA, uh, better use of the frequency space, um, the, the BSS colouring um, and the spatial reuse and to help mitigate some CCI. Um, uplink and downlink multi-user MIMO, um, target wait time. Uh, one thing, did we want to touch on about the 1024 QAM? Um, and I know that you've sp spoken in one of your presentations regarding uh, bandwidth and PoE requirements. Just if, if sure. 
Um, so the one or two for qualm uh, is one of the ex- things that will actually give us higher data rates. So that's why yeah. I don't use. <laughs> I don't say usually that one, say that one to last. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that, that's why I don't usually talk about it that much. Um, it is going to require like an SNR of like uh, something like thirty-two or thirty-three dB. So um, you're going to have to have a pristine RF network. And I don't know, you know, good luck finding an SNR like that in the 2.4 gigahertz band in most cases. In the yeah. 5 gigahertz band, sure, that's obtainable in the right RF conditions and if you're very near the access point. So, yeah, um, there will be higher data rates, um, but it is going to um, – and you will see support for 102.4 QAM. But uh, once again, I don't like to focus on that so much as I do more the efficiency uh, to your other se- first, second part of your second question, and you were it's kind of a design consideration. Both uh, uh, quickly talk about both PoE as well as um, uplink between the AP and the switch. So um, you we will have uh, greater PoE requirements. Uh, all the initial APs that are coming out are anywhere from four by four by four to eight by eight by eight. So you can pretty much count on needing PoE plus. Okay, I mean, it's just to uh, if you're going to have a dual frequency four by four by four, um, you're going to need PoE plus. It's as simple as that. So um, I'm telling people that is probably the more important uh, immediate concern in terms of design consideration is PoE. You need and I'm worried about people doing one to one replacements and then not considering their power budget. I think most customers now have PoE plus capabilities, not everybody, but if they don't, they're going to have to upgrade. And if they do, they're going to have to be very careful about their PoE budgeting. Um, so that's going to be important. Um, the, some of the 8x8x8s um, actually need more than PoE plus. Um, or if you're using PoE plus by itself, it'll down, they'll downgrade, have downgrade capabilities. So some of the 8x8x8 APs, uh, which are uh, some of our competitors are coming out with, are actually going to require two Ethernet drops simply to power the access point. Not all of them. Um, different vendors have different ways they're dealing with the power issues. Um, you know, eventually um, you'll probably see two by two by two Wi-Fi six APs as well down the road, um, and maybe those won't need PoE plus, but. Uh, uh, everything that's coming out now, absolutely. So, so David, like this two by two by two access points, they will rely uh, in order to provide increased capacity. They will rely solely on OFDMA, and they'll probably not be too capable of doing uh, multi-user MIMO, right? Um, yeah, I mean, so I mean that that's the, the obviously the more radio change you have, the more conducive it's going to be for multi-user MIMO capabilities. Um, so yeah, a two by two by two uh, access point when those uh, animals come out, um, there's going to be for a couple reasons. It'll be obviously they'll be at a lower cost uh, for customers. Um, uh, but um, they will also, you know, not have, near, you know, they'll rely definitely more on the OFDMA. Um, yeah, but it's still superb to see that you will be able probably to have like a lower end access point and still see a massive benefit uh, with uh, the efficiency of the Wi-Fi operation. I, I totally agree. And just like every vendor now has a, a portfolio of three by threes and four by fours and two by twos, you will see that eventually as well. Yeah. Um, as well. Um, and then the other thing for design considerations that everybody needs to think about, um, they, or 
people are overthinking, I should say, is everybody's worried about the uplink between the AP and the switch. So the thinking is, oh, yeah, everything's going to get more efficient because it's more efficient. A one gig uplink isn't going to be good enough. So you're going to have to have multi gig. And then some vendors are even there's one vendor is even putting a 10 gig uplink in their oh, wow. access point. <laughs> and they're telling everybody, you got to have that. Yeah, that's nonsense. Okay. Um, so throughout, I've been hearing for years that we're going to surpass one gig. And quite frankly, you can do it now with AC. You can surpass a gig uplink in some real corner cases. And usually with like one client and one AP. Um, yeah. But in when you have multiple clients, that has not happened. Now, could, could it happen with a AX? The answer is, I think yes. But we're not there yet. I think we're at least a couple years out before we're going to have to worry about surpassing one gig. That being said, every Wi-Fi vendor, including Aerohive, is future-proofing their APs, and they're putting two, at least uh, a 2.5 multi-gig port on their APs for future-proofing purposes. But you are going to hear a lot of marketing nonsense from some switch vendors, uh, quite frankly, that they want to sell you switches. Um, so uh, the more immediate need in terms of switch design is the POE. For sure. I, I just think that this is such a, a needed verification and technology coming up because if you see any networks that we, the wireless networks that you go to install now or you go to assess a current network and the amount of rogue access points or neighboring access points that are just around because there's so much Wi-Fi out there now to have this technology coming to bring, bring better use and make it more high, much more efficient use of the um, medium is going to be a great improvement for any users using Wi-Fi going forward. Yeah, and I think so. And guys, we're not going to see, I mean, it's we're not going to see immediate benefits tomorrow. It's going to be slow, but um, uh, I am excited about it. But, you know, yeah, like with all the previous standards, it will take years, but still, it's better better yeah. to start now and think about it now. I think. Yeah, it, it is, and uh, I mean, um, and there's there's more things on the horizon as well. Um, but uh, to me, this technology is going to be viable um, for five to t at least at least five years, more like ten. Um, exactly. There will, there will be something else in about five years, but uh, that'll just be building on what we already have. That we'll be building on AX. But um, bottom line is, it's going to be viable for about ten years. So to, once yeah. again, this is to me the biggest shift we've seen since twelve years ago when eight or two eleven in when we went from uh, uh, SISO to MIMO radios. So it's pretty exciting. Same, and also the security will improve quite substantially, right? So not only support, uh, like a really needed support required by the standard for WPA3, but also for management frame protection. And also I think that there was an element about uh, encrypting open, open SSID. So even if I have like a guest open SSID, it will still be uh, encrypted. Have you heard uh, anything about it? Yeah, that's uh, that is a optional uh, security um, technology um, OWE. Uh, we're um, right now. Arrowhive is not planning on supporting that. That could always change. That is not. That is a, an optional security um, okay. mechanism. Uh, we um, we tend we like we love encrypted guest networks, but we have a different solution called Private Pre-Shared Key that our customers absolutely love sure. um, uh, for encrypted guest networks, but. To your other point, the WPA3, 
um, uh, will give us uh, ma better management frame protection and also will help with um, some of the issues with PSK security um, with a replacement, uh, SAE, simultaneous authentications of equals, which effectively is going to put an end to a lot of the uh, brute force dictionary attacks. So um, most of the enhancements, that's the, really the main enhancement with WPA3. It's, it's going to make home networks more secure and anybody using PSK in the enterprise as well, it's going to make it more secure. Yeah. Thanks, David. Um, one last thing I suppose we should make sure uh, everyone remembers is that AX isn't going to mitigate bad designs and design and validation will still be key. Uh, absolutely. And uh, thank you for bringing that up. And, uh, <laughs> um, you know, um, that's actually um, uh, that I actually uh, say that all the time. I actually, that's actually a quote I stole from uh, a gentleman named Sam Clements. Uh, well, I, I stole that from you. Actually. Yeah, well, that's fine. And we, <laughs> I stole that from Matt. <laughs> I have a lot of other as well because we need to tell that it is a big problem in this industry. People think they can just slap up access points and it's going to be magic. Um, you need design, you need validation, and none of that changes. So, um, Fellas, uh, I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. Um, feel free to call me up and let's do this again. But um, I'm going to have to end it here because I have to go see a man, a man about a dog. <laughs> no worries. No worries at all. You yeah. can just quickly mention how we can, uh, how our listeners can can uh, reach out to you if they have any follow up questions about the AX. Yeah, sure. So uh, the easiest way to reach out to me is via my Twitter address. It's uh, at Mr. Multipath, spelled out M-I-S-T-E-R, uh, Multipath. Um, and so that's a, just a geeky Twitter name handle I came up with a long time ago. So okay. Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, follow me and, uh, you know, people can reach out to me that way or, you know, you can link up with me on LinkedIn as, as well. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the best way to, um, to get in touch with me. Okay, again, thank you so much for your time today, David. We're going to take off any, any more of it and we'll let you go. And yeah, okay. thanks for sharing all of this with us and our listeners. And I have no doubt we'll speak to you sometime soon. I hope. Thank you, David. Appreciate it. Thanks, David. Bye.